when people make the decision to leave the lay life and take up the monastic life. Usually they've contemplated <coughs> their situation and seen some of the disadvantages of practicing the Buddhist path in the lay life and are attracted to, even if they don't yet know them, they're attracted to the advantages of practicing as a seminar, a monastic. As we know, the disadvantages of living out in the world <coughs> include having to mix with many different kinds of people who have different levels of sila, different views, different world views, different standards of behavior, different values, <coughs> different beliefs, which sometimes brings up conflicts of interest or just difficulty living together in the world. Often we're looking for a way out from that. The different kinds of suffering we have to experience, the pressures of earning a living, family duties and responsibilities, social responsibilities, social interaction. So the Buddhist monastic form is a way out. It's a way that takes us towards freedom. Freedom being freedom from stress, from suffering. And the experience of the peaceful, happy mind. So when we come into the monastic life and commit to it. We're pursuing this path, this way that will lead us out from stress, from suffering. So most people find maintaining an open mind, an inquiring mind, questioning experience <coughs> is a useful starting point. We, we are aware of some of the drawbacks of our life. We've experienced some pain, suffering, problems. 
but now we're looking for a way out. So we have to have this open-minded approach, willing to look, to learn, and where we're looking and questioning is within ourselves. We're learning to observe and contemplate ourselves from our own experience. <coughs> that doesn't mean to say the gaining of knowledge from teachers is not relevant. It's important and vital, particularly in the beginning and then all the way through our practice to check and compare what we're learning, what we're experiencing with what we're hearing and what, we, what the Buddha said and what our teachers have said. But at the same time, what really leads to freedom is our own internal understanding and experience of the path and how it reduces the causes of suffering from our mind, greed, anger and delusion and all their offshoots and brings up, develops the causes for the end of suffering. Sila, Samadhi, Panya. <coughs> when we're learning from our own experience and the quality that the Buddha said is most useful is Sati the ability to recollect the present moment and sometimes they say recollect what your duty is in the present moment at any one time. So when we're training in the Vinaya, we're training in Sati Vinayo, in mindfulness of the the rules, the practices, the ways of training, so then it becomes more or less second nature. It becomes normal for us to practice in accordance with the Vinaya. And when we are developing meditation techniques, we are training in bringing up sati, and its supporting factor, sampajanya, clear comprehension. But with a goal, with a purpose, to bring up a steadiness of mind. This is one of the benefits of developing mindfulness regularly, frequently. <coughs> so that the mind becomes steady and can look, observe, inquire, <coughs> investigate 
more successfully from a place of steadiness, firmness and stillness. When we leave the lay life, many monks find it a bit of a relief that uh, we don't have to mix with so many different worldviews and be inundated with all the views and opinions about life, what is right and wrong, true and false, which can be tiring and sometimes confusing <coughs> and often we're not quite sure what we should believe, where we're going, why, what the purpose of it all is. This is still, it's still possible to be affected by this of course in the monastery but things are more streamlined so you're hearing the Dhamma more often, mixing with fellow Dhamma practitioners who have a similar interest and goal. So that reduces some of this impingement from all the different belief systems, worldviews that people have. And then in, particularly in the beginning, we are learning the Dhamma the Buddha's words in the suttas, the Vinaya, and then the words of our teachers. <coughs> this is important to help give us a framework for practice, give us a roadmap for our practice, and what you might call Lokiya Samaditi, right view on the conventional level. The Buddha talked about the ultimate reality, paramata satcha, and conventional reality, uh, samuti satcha, or sometimes it's the same as paramata and pariyati. <coughs> and both of them are important. Sometimes when we practice meditation, we we know our goal is to realize the, the truth and experience the paramata satcha, the ultimate reality. So then we may unconsciously disregard conventional reality, conventional truth, or look down on it, or develop some kind of sense that it doesn't matter. But I think the flavor of the Buddhist teachings is if you study and learn and practice you come to realize that conventional reality still has its place <coughs> as a important stepping stone towards ultimate reality. So we have the conventions of say the monastery, the monastic form, the training rules, the practices, the Vinaya, all of this is convention and it's been laid down by the Buddha or teachers like Ajahn Chah or even 
decisions made by the Sangha over the years. But it's an important it's important that we give value to it and learn from it because it's helping us to get to the point where the mind is trained and steady and has the right qualities to realize ultimate truth. So we have, say, precepts for the laity, five precepts or eight precepts, ten precepts for novice, patimoka precepts for monk. <coughs> this is conventional reality. You could say the, the mind of one who has seen ultimate reality doesn't need these conventions anymore. But even then, the Buddha encouraged Arahants to keep the Vinaya as examples for others. And it provides the, the strength, the bedrock of the religion as a whole. So it's not just for us, keeping the Vinaya is also valuable for future generations. We can pass the teachings down using the Vinaya as one of the supporting pillars of our practice. <coughs> we also have to be aware of the conventions of the society, the culture we live in. The laws and regulations and standards of behavior because they're not always totally in line with the Vinaya. So something like an obvious one maybe when can you have a bonfire? And the Vinaya says that if a piece of earth has been guppied, then you can have a fire on it. If it's uh, earth that's still fresh, freshly dug, then you could put a fire on it. Or a, if a lay person's lit the fire, then you can add to that fire. But then the, the rules of the society are that there's a danger in bushfire. So for only some months of the year can we have a bonfire. <coughs> and if you were to have a bonfire now at this time, when there's a lot of bushfires around, you'd quickly get in trouble, maybe even end up getting the monastery fined or something like that. So we have to take note of conventional reality. And this is part of the training in wisdom, right view, worldly right view. <coughs> Most of worldly right view is based around karma, principle of cause and result, good cause, good result, bad cause, bad result, and developing some interest and some commitment to that. You might say belief in karma, but it is, it's true that there are people who have helped us, say like parents help us, and that's a, a huge karmic debt. <coughs> there are fruits of karma that last not only in this life, but lead into the next life and so on. We may say this is still just the, on the level of convention, belief, but it helps inform our behavior 
the more we listen, learn, open our minds up to the possibility of karma, and particularly karma and rebirth. It helps us to put all the teachings into perspective and, if nothing else, makes us cautious about what we do and say and even what we think. <coughs> so to keep returning to the Dhamma, the Pariyati Dhamma, from teachers, from the Buddha, is a vital exercise in our practice just to check whether our thinking, our views are still in line with what the Buddha taught and to check whether we're still on the right path for getting out of suffering. Particularly uh, when we study the Vinaya we see how sometimes bhikkhus get caught into wrong views and it's only when questioned by their friends or brought to the Buddha that they realize that. Um, or some lay people who fall into wrong views from other teachers outside Buddhism. There's plenty of stories of how they've got strange worldviews and how it's brought them a lot of problems and certainly not freedom of mind. So it's something we have to keep addressing, give value to the pariyati on the outside, the, the teachings that we gain from others, other sources. But then we have the pariyati on the inside, which comes through the practice. The pariyati on the inside is our, particularly our observation of what happens to this body and mind day in, day out. <coughs> and this is where we bridge between conventional reality and ultimate reality. So bringing up more mindfulness and clear comprehension, directing it to our experience <clears throat> we are looking at the pariyati internally. So when they say when your eyes see a form, consciousness arises, seeing, and with that we get feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and a perception which is not always particularly correct, true, as it as in we can have all kinds of defiled perceptions, but anyway, a perception will arise. And from there, if we're not careful, craving of one form or other will arise. Karma dhanha, bhavadhanha, vipavadhanha. This is the pariyati internally. What's going on in our mind from moment to moment through our day. Related to the body, obviously. And what is another, another reason why it's so difficult to practice in the lay life is just the amount of sense impingement, the complexity of society, the habits of human beings, is that we're constantly seeking comfort. We earn money to buy products, property, things that help to make us comfortable. And as we know, as we start reflecting on the use of the requisites, you know, most lay people are probably consuming and using far more than they really need just for their basic living needs. 
they got, get caught into uh, the differences of fashion and brands and advertising and luxury products and so on. And then we always tend to be comparing, competing with others, comparing with others. So the lay life, it's difficult to maintain awareness of, say, sense contact. You're bombarded through all your six senses all the time, through entertainments, through work, through society around you. <coughs> and what tends to happen is the mind goes dull. And so we have to ex experience more extreme sense contact to get a bit of happiness or stimulate some excitement or interest. So there's this, again, another cycle or habit in the lay life of always seeking better, newer, more extreme experiences, but without any real reflection on what's going on. So all the time this tends to stimulate craving. They don't see, and then craving leads on to suffering. It leads to attachment, clinging, becoming, and with attachment and becoming, all kinds of despair, disappointment, grief, because the way this body and mind and the world is, you know, it doesn't last. The happiness you get doesn't last. Leads you to seek more, leads you to disappointment, leads you to seeking more, better, different. Is very tiring and not satisfying to the mind at all. So most people are living with a lot of dissatisfaction, discontent, but they don't really know how it happens, where it comes from. But when you're in the monastery, you have a much better situation to observe all this. You've limited your seeking of comfort. We're not necessarily uncomfortable, but we have a minimum of possessions, a minimum of entertainment and distraction, a minimum of those things which do seem to cloud the mind so much in the lay life. So it's much easier, or certainly more suitable, to start contemplating the internal pariyati what happens when you see something, what happens to your mind when you hear, you taste, you smell, you touch, what happens as your mind goes to different ideas, memories, images internally. This is the internal pariyati, where we're applying mindfulness and learning and seeing that <coughs> You know, experiences of pleasure and pain, happiness and suffering arise from causes. You see a pleasant form, gives rise to a, a mood of pleasure. If we're mindful, then that, that's the end of the story. But when we're not so mindful and wisdom is not active, then we grasp onto the pleasure and try to hold on to it and seek more of it, become attached. When painful experiences experience through the senses, we resist them or run away from them, reject them. And if we're not mindful, <coughs> it puts us into a mood of aversion, not wanting or wanting to get rid of. 
Your monastery is an ideal place to look at that experience and learn from it. But in the beginning, because we're not yet skilled at it, we need a lot of patience and uh, wish for freedom and seeking a way out of suffering is what keeps us going. We have a wish to, to learn, to get better, to improve. So we have our faith, we have our <clears throat> commitment to the practice and that helps to support patience as we're dealing with this new way of looking, learning from our internal experience of the sen six senses and what they do to us. Ultimately what we're coming to see is that you know, the mind is constantly tricked, taking things that are impermanent as permanent looking for the next permanent pleasure, but it's impossible to find. <coughs> Not just taking that which is permanent, that which is impermanent as permanent, but taking that which is empty or not-self as self. This is what we're learning from the internal pariyati. You know, we're learning from the pleasure or the displeasure that arises and how that forms a sense of self. And it becomes me, mine, belonging to me, based on that sense contact. So sometimes you can notice you know, staying in the forest where we have very minimal stimulation and it's very repetitive kind of stimulation. So anything new that comes your way particularly on a computer screen or when you go out into the world traveling. A new stimulation leads to the arising maybe of old perceptions or new perceptions and how they grab the mind. <coughs> if mindfulness is firm, then we can maybe stay steady with these new, the new stimulation. But if mindfulness is not yet well trained, then we tend to ride with it. So we become excited, interested, curious, attracted to different sense contact, or we become averse to it and we don't want it, things we don't like, don't want. This is going on all the time, but sometimes we only notice in the more extreme situations at first. So notice how we can react, say, to the behavior of other people. When somebody is friendly to us, we like it. When somebody criticizes us or points out a fault, we don't like it. In the end, this is just sense contact. Somebody speaks, we hear, but then the perception comes up and maybe stimulates some craving of liking or disliking. So this is where we have to learn how the sense of self is, is being formed, supported by our experience and observing closely with mindfulness and wisdom, start seeing how it is really a delusion. And it's really, this is what is going on is without a self, it's just a process. What helps is frequently training in mindfulness. 
the sitting, the walking meditation, bringing the attention back to the present moment, remembering our precepts, our vinaya, remembering our meditation object, <coughs> remembering the practice and the path of practice. When suffering slips into our experiences because we've forgotten all that, and the old sense of self is forming around whatever we see or feel, physical feelings of pleasure and pain, mental states based that, that come with mental feelings of pleasure and pain. The sense of stealth comes up when mindfulness and wisdom is absent. When mindfulness and wisdom is, is there, we can look more closely and the steadiness of mind allows things to be seen as objects rather than as me, mine, belonging to me. So we're learning this skill and it will, according to Lumpur Chah and our teachers, this will take us all the way to Nibbana. Even if we feel we're very low on the rung of the ladder up to Nibbana, we still are learning this, this way of looking at experience, bringing out mindfulness and investigating the truth internally, what's going on in our mind, what's leading to what and getting better at it over time. The aim is, in the beginning you have your Lokya Samaditi that you've acquired through hearing the Dhamma, reading the Dhamma. Then you start to apply it to your internal experience over and over again regularly, bringing up the mindfulness and investigating the truth until the Lokutra Samaditi or the seeing of paramatta satya starts to come out. <coughs> so when mindfulness is more continuous, then we can have the experience of seeing this body as elements. We investigate the physical body, the 32 parts, the asupa, to disperse some of the habitual sense of self, self-identification that forms around the body and then look at it as more a collection of physical elements. And as mindfulness and samadhi improve, then our ability to look more closely, more carefully improves. We can even look back at the mind, which is obviously harder because it's invisible, but by noting and observing the mind with mindfulness, we're also seeing how it's conditioned pleasant unpleasant experiences are conditioning it, changing our perceptions, changing our volitions all the time, our intentions. Gradually removing the influence of craving, greed, anger and delusion in all its forms and experiencing more the just the knowing of experience. Even in, in the end even the mind is an element it's just that quality of knowing that is there in nature but because of delusion we create a self around it. There is no knower, it's just the knowing. Because again, because of conventional reality and this is one of the, the drawbacks of it is we tend to give everything a, a, a label, a name, a noun so we always say the mind, 
already that sense that gives a sense of it's something. Once you have a, a thing, then you tend to have an owner of a thing. So it's my mind. My mind is like this, it's like that. My practice is like this, like that, and so on. But the more we practice mindfulness, we're getting to this quality of just knowing experience, observing quietly with more detached awareness, more equanimity. And this is where <clears throat> the sense of self starts to drop away. And it changes perceptions, views on things, particularly Sakaya Ditti, just the basic self-identity view. This changes under the influence of mindfulness and wisdom applied over and over again to this body, this mind. When it's practiced well, then because you're still living in the world, you're still bound up with convention, but the mind is free from that. Physically you're bound up, you're still interacting with other people, going about your business, but mentally the mind is free. And like in the time of the Buddha, there was that monk, I think it was Upasena, who got <coughs> bitten by a snake. And he was dying, uh, maybe he got passy or wounded, making a mess in his kuti. So he asked the other monks to lift him out of the kuti, into the open, so he wouldn't ruin the kuti. They knew he was going to die. He was still thinking about Vinaya, thinking with compassion about other people. Didn't want to make a mess. While they were lifting him out, one of the monks said, Oh, you're, you've been bitten by a snake, you're dying, but I notice your faculties haven't changed. Meaning you know, everything about him was still very composed, very peaceful. He was still mindful in his wisdom still knew that this body didn't belong to self. So there was no stress or distress in his appearance, his attitude, his speech, his face. He was calm, peaceful, until he died. <coughs> As he said, he knew this body is only elements, and these elements don't belong to anybody, so there's nobody to get stressed about the oncoming death. Or in more recent times, say Lumpur Plian, when we visited him when he was extremely ill with a lot of pain, he didn't mumble, grumble, complain, still very peaceful atmosphere around him. His faculties were as if undisturbed, even though inside his body was degenerating very fast with a lot of pain. And any other number of well-practiced monks, you see the same experience. You know, a mind that is seen through to the paramatasatchana, the fact that this body, perceptions, thoughts, sense consciousness, they're all empty of self. The mind that is trained to see that is unruffled, it's steady, it's unwavering. <clears throat> the samadhi is not disturbed, the, the wisdom is not disturbed. And this is like completing the, the course or the practice of internal pariyati. 
where your internal pariyati matches the external pariyati. So not just believing in the word of the Buddha, agreeing with it, but knowing for oneself through one's own experience. <coughs> it's one of the things that attracted me to the Buddhist teachings is that that theme always runs through what the Buddha taught, even when occasionally he was discussing uh, more philosophical issues or uh, debating with people about different views of the world or whatever. He'd always turn the conversation back to the direct practice of seeing the causes of suffering, the craving, the attachment, the sense of self, and then the way to deal with it, the way to practice to end remove those or abandon those causes, see through to the emptiness of self and, and liberate the mind. You see that over and over again in the Buddha's words, the Buddha's teachings. And then Lumpur Cha is the same, constantly bringing you back to the present moment and experiencing the Dhamma in the present moment to cut through conventional reality to see ultimate reality. So seeing that sense contact, your reactions, these are not sure, my near. This body is not sure, our mind is not sure, the world around us is not sure. The cup is already broken. You're constantly bringing the practitioner, listening to him back to the present moment and observing, investigating the, the ultimate reality that's unfolding right here, right now. And the only way we can do that is if mindfulness is present, wiriya is present, and then directing the mind to develop wisdom inside. So I've talked a little bit about the internal pariyati, and the external pariyati tonight. Maybe I'll uh, leave the talk there.